He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? And we're live. Welcome, everybody, here to the Lakers Lounge Podcast. I'm Anthony Irwin, today joined by somebody who we had planned to have this conversation with. We had it all lined up. We uh, were, like, ready to go. And then Damian Miller gets traded. So we don't get to—we we don't wind up having the Lakers conversation that we plan on having— uh, you guys got to watch, if you were watching or if you have watched the episode already, you watched Jason and I completely freak out, both of us thinking, <laughs> like, I got to credit you, first off, and, and Jason Timph of The Volume, who does incredible work for that challenge, um, but I got to credit you because a lot of people would, you know, given that this is your job as well, would have said, at the very least, hey man, like, do you mind cutting? Like in like ten minutes, I had to go. But you hung in there for the entirety of the episode. I really greatly appreciated that, Jason. Thank you very much for hopping on with us. I'm I'm looking forward to having the conversation we were going to have a week ago. Yeah, we're, we're now irrevocably attached to the Dame Lillard storyline, man. Every time every time I see him <laughs> in a Bucks jersey, I'm going to think about that show. Honestly, like you know, like it, it was fine because. It was such an incredibly splashy, unexpected move that I yeah. almost needed to sit there and just kind of process, like process it for it. an hour yeah. anyway. So like we just got to do that live on the air, which was totally fine. And <laughs> and you know, we got we got our instant reaction later that afternoon. It was all good. You know, dude, and again, that's just part of the process. But I'm cautiously optimistic that today we'll actually get to talk about the things we want to talk about. Well, so James Harden is the only person I can think of where that would happen again. And he practiced today. Uh, without the fat suit, um, according to multiple reports. So I think we're okay. I, I think we're all right. Um, but yeah, today we are going to um, we are going to talk about the Lakers. We are going to deep dive into their into their season. You've been doing preseason power rankings for Hoops Tonight, which again you can subscribe to uh, everywhere you get your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. And I'm going to ask you where you have the Lakers in in that ranking now that. You know, the, the Damian Lillard trade has, has actually happened. Um, I want to ask some kind of big macro questions about them that you might have about the team and, and all that good stuff. So uh, here we go. Where do you have in your Hoops Tonight power rankings, where do you have the Lakers? I, you don't have to give away the, the exact spot, but are they still a top five team to you? Yes, uh, I, I, think there's, I think there's six clear teams at the top of the league. Okay. Uh, um, and that is... I know, uh, I know Lakers fans might disagree because there's a little animosity between the two fan bases, but the war, the same starting five that won the title literally less than, you know, what, what has yeah, it been, like 16 ago. months ago, the yeah. same starting five that won the title 16 months ago still plays for Golden State. So, like, oh, okay. we, are, thought, we, okay. we would be, we would, it would not be respectful or fair, in my opinion, to write them off completely. So, I have them at number six. Mm-hmm. And then I, th- I think they're like kind of on that tier, but clearly at the bottom in the sense that they'd be an underdog against. Yeah. They're like barely hanging on. It's really just respect to Steph Curry. And like, maybe if Wiggins doesn't go a wall in the middle of the season and maybe Chris Paul pans out, like it can work. But then I think the top five are, are clearly just a little bit better than the warriors. And 
all of them have different things that they bring to the table. Like specifically Phoenix and Milwaukee bring like that top tier offensive skill. That's that Damian Lillard. That's that, um, you know, Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker thing. Right. And then like the Nuggets and the Lakers bring the incredible like physicality to the table and the matchup attacking. And we're going to beat you up inside. And the Lakers are more of a defensive version of that. And the Nuggets are more of an offensive version of that. Then like the Bucks are kind of a little bit of both. And, you know, they all kind of have like a unique punch. And so the separators there are all going to be the intangible things, in my opinion. Like it's going to be which teams have the better coaches, which teams are more committed to the dirty work, like the uh, overall chemistry, like locker room chemistry, injuries. basketball synergy, inju- injuries. Yeah, luck. Like all those things are going to be the different uh, differentiators. And like what freaks me out a little bit with the Suns, because I have the Suns at five, and then I have the Lakers at four before I get to the uh, the the Celtics, the Bucks, and the the Nuggets at the top. And the reason why I give the Lakers a very slight edge over the Suns is because of the fact that they are both talented, physically imposing, and they have a commitment to the work. Yeah, They, down the roster, from day one of camp, are going to set and establish habits that are proven to work in the NBA playoffs, defending, competing, rebounding, all those sorts of things, right? The Suns, they don't have a single above-average starter on the roster who's a defender, someone whose career has been, I defend and I rebound, you know, they have a ton of talent. And I do think people try to galaxy brain the offensive end a little bit. Like they're going to score a ton. Yeah. But like, I've seen people compare them to the Brooklyn Nets with Harden, Kyrie and KD. They had Nick Claxton, who was one of the best defensive fulcrums in the league. Like he's probably in the top 10, 15 guys you'd want at the center position in the league defensively or as a rebounder. Right. And then the Warriors with KD, Steph and Clay, you had the Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala front line that they would go to at times too. So like this Suns team, I think, I think is incredibly talented, but I'm concerned about how they'll be in the differentiating factors of the game. Frank Vogel is a defensive minded coach. Maybe he comes in and establishes those, those habits and it all works out. But right now I think the Lakers have a slight edge over the Suns as the second best team in the West. Yeah, I would, I would agree with all of that. The Suns, the Suns have so much firepower that like they, if you're in a close game with them, you're going to be absolutely terrified because a good shot is going to come from somewhere on that court. But on the other end of things, Suns fans are going to live terrified because they aren't going to get any stops. You know, the one, the one guy who I thought could have functioned as a bit of an anchor to the defense would have been Aiton. Now he's gone. And, and Nurkic isn't that kind of a player. I, maybe Vogel optimizes him, right? He was able to optimize Roy Hibbert. Maybe he was he he'll be able to do something with Nurkic, but yeah, uh, I I I completely agree with having the Lakers second in the conference behind a Nuggets team that yeah probably got a little bit worse, but Jokic is so good and so uniquely talented at, at maximizing everybody around him that I'm not positive losing Bruce Brown and Jeff Green um, is definitely going to hurt them. So I still have the Nuggets up there. I have the Lakers, uh, you know tangibly behind them, notably behind them. And then you have the Suns and the Warriors. But with the Lakers, though, uh, I kind of wanted to start with, like you mentioned the various identities here. And this is actually something I love about the NBA right now is, 
you know, in, in boxing styles might make fights. And you look at any great matchup that we're going to watch on a nightly basis here with those top six teams, and it's going to be a clash of, of identities almost every single time two of those teams get together. What do you think the Lakers' identity should be this year? Because that's the that's the part of this that I have found myself thinking about the most is we know what identity LeBron and AD have won with before. We know what identity Darvin Ham would kind of sort of prefer. They're going to have to meet somewhere in the middle there. And depending on what that identity might be, that will allow them, I think, to optimize the roster. But what do you think their identity should be? I think their identity should be we're the team that's going to kick your ass in a rock fight. Like yeah. it's we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna slow the pace down. We're gonna play half court basketball. We're going to pound the ball inside. We're gonna attack matchups all day long. We're gonna pick on your small guards with D'Lo post ups and have Austin put him in pick and roll. LeBron's yeah. gonna pick on your skinny wings and take him to the basket. You know they're. Anthony Davis obviously is one of the biggest uh, matchup nightmares in the league at his position. I think that's kind of the idea uh, that they're going for. I think the defensive identity is going to be key because this team has to be the best defense by far out of those top five teams in order to separate themselves. If they defend just as well as the Celtics or just as well as the Bucks, they're going to lose. They need to defend at a higher level than that. And that's where it gets a little tricky because – this team does lack perimeter defense mm-hmm. and they ha- it's weird because they have a legitimate like borderline top tier maybe second tier perimeter defender in Jared Vanderbilt like in terms yep. of guys who can guard opposing wings and guards and and navigate ball screens and apply back pressure and defend in isolation and and bother guys uh, uh down low breaker. and up top you, you throw him on somebody he he breaks their rhythm Exactly. And, and like, and here's the thing, he's been working really hard all summer and I'm proving his offensive polish and maybe that ends up making the difference. But we found out last year that whether it was the corner threes or operating out of the dunker spot, he just couldn't be enough of a threat offensively. And so they're in a little bit of a predicament where, you know, their best perimeter defender is very clearly not one of their five best players. Mm-hmm. And that puts you in a, in, 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 into, into some problems. And, and you know, I don't know if Darvin Ham's going to do more switching to try to address that. I don't know if he's just going to cross his fingers and hope that Rui Hachimura can defend on the perimeter, which I don't think is a, is a, a, a philosophy that's going to work. But at the end of the day, someone's got to step up and be able to guard on the perimeter. And, like, that's where I could see minutes being available. Like, we think of, you know, Torian Prince and Rui Hachimura and Jared Vanderbilt for that three spot. And... We think about Gabe Vincent coming off the bench, right? But like, don't be surprised if a guy like Max Christie ends up getting significant minutes this year if he just yeah. shows that he's willing to compete on the defensive end because they need to have somebody that is that can guard opposing pick-and-roll ball handlers and at least make it difficult enough to where they have to get downhill into the paint where the Lakers' interior defense can separate themselves. And, and, and that's going to be the challenge. And like, I don't know if it's... It's not a problem in the regular season, in my opinion. I think this team's going to win a lot of regular season games. I think that when we talk about the offseason and what they accomplished in free agency and in the draft, there's this weird debate where it's like everyone's saying, oh, they had a great offseason, and then there's all these Celtics fans and other Nor'easters who are like, actually, the Lakers offseason wasn't any good because they didn't get any materially better. And I think everyone's kind of missing the point. Like, 
obviously they didn't improve the issues they need to address in order to beat a team like Denver. Like they, yeah. they, they like they got to get over the top shot making. I don't think it's on LeBron can. and AD. I don't think you can. <laughs> like, where was the move? Like, yeah. there, there was no move. Like, and that's the thing. Like, to Rob Polinka's credit, he didn't go for the home run because there wasn't a home run there to be had. Yeah, he just hit a bunch of singles this summer, and I and I loved that. He got legitimate regular season depth to carry this team. But I do think they're missing. I think I think the only realistic way barring absolute luck with injuries that they could end up with a trophy in their hands at the end of the day is if either LeBron and AD just flash back to 2020 as jump shooters, which who knows, maybe that happens, mm -hmm. or they're going to have to get aggressive at the deadline and bring in uh, either a, a really good over-the-top shot maker or an outstanding perimeter defender that they can play at the two or the three that elevates their defense to the point where suddenly they can beat teams with just in, impenetrable defense. You know what I mean? So that's kind of, yep. I think, I think it's going to be an interesting season from the standpoint of like separating what is regular season results, which should be overwhelmingly positive to, can we beat the top dogs in the league as currently constructed? And that, and that's going to be what they're going to have to navigate throughout the year. It legitimately hurts me how perfect KCP would be for this team. Like, it, <laughs> it like ain't that right, man? It, it hurts my soul because when you're talking about like the kind of defender that the Lakers could really use, you could slide Austin over to the one. You could put KCP in there at the two. He could defend your your you know the, the bigger shooting guards that I think are going to give the Lakers problems this year. Like Anthony Edwards, the night that he plays the Lakers, you're probably going to want to take the over. On, on how many points he's going <laughs> to score that night. Because, like, <laughs> if the Lakers are going to stick to, like, it, 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 unless Jared Vanderbilt's going to play a whole bunch of minutes, um, he's going he's gonna to fare quite well. And, uh, you know, KCP also had some success guarding, you know, smaller guards by playing off and then closing the space with his length that he has on those guys. And, and uh, not having him or having a player like him is, like, when, when people ask me, I had somebody ask me the other day, uh, your intel on D'Angelo Russell. All summer, I was saying that the Lakers are signing him to eventually trade him at the deadline. And um, I think there's still some to that. That noise kind of died down a little bit. I think the Lakers are really hoping that he works out and that, um, and he even mentioned this year that because he had a kid, he didn't do as much traveling. So he got in the gym a little earlier. He mm -hmm. said that, um, you know, his approach to defending is more team-based this year. He's acknowledged that he's not going to get any faster at this point in his career. So he's going to be more of a team defender. We'll see what that kind of looks like. But still, if, if the Lakers are going to take that next step into the category of like legitimately there with Denver, legitimately there with Milwaukee, legitimately there with even Boston right now, they're going to have to pick up a KCP-type shooting guard, I think, to, to, to finish up their, their top five um, the, the, their best five guy lineup. Um, as it stands, though, there's a lot of debate between starting Rui and starting Vanderbilt this year. Um, Darvin Ham has said that he wants to start uh, D'Angelo Russell. He's going to start Austin Reeves. He's going to start LeBron. He's going to start AD. In that group, I think there's arguments for both uh, Rui and Vanderbilt there. Which way would you go? Rui's a better player. There, yeah. There's no doubt. And 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 here's the thing: like if he if he has attached himself to LeBron's hip all summer and just become this even better 
offensive weapon than what he was in in the playoffs last year, then maybe there could just be so much offensive firepower in that unit that you don't care. Because there's a version yeah. of the story where where Austin D'Lo, Rui, LeBron, AD is just impossible to guard. Like that, there, there's a, yeah. there's a version of this scenario where that happens. But chances are he's going to be marginally better offensively than he was last year. He is a better player than Jared Vanderbilt, but I have to look at it from the standpoint of filling roles on the roster. And like to me, Rui actually functionally plays the same position as LeBron, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so and so I actually think he makes a lot more sense to essentially be LeBron's sub, the guy that comes in for LeBron. And then you find minutes for him at the three in the meat and potatoes in the game just to make sure he's playing, you know, 28, 30 minutes a game. Yeah. But, like, you have to have somebody – because, like, look at the Western Conference up and down the line. It's like, okay, we're playing Denver. Who's guarding Jamal Murray? Okay, we're playing Phoenix. Who's guarding Devin yeah. Booker? You know, okay, we're playing Golden State. Who's guarding Steph Curry? Okay, we're playing Memphis. Who's guarding John Morant? I can go down in the line. I'm not going to keep going, but you get the point. Like, you, the, yeah. the Western Conference has just an unending, like, like murder's row of dominant pick-and-roll ball handlers. And you just have to say everything, but especially everything, those guys. Yeah. But especially those guys. And so, like, I, I think at the end of the day, it makes the most sense to me to set the tone with Jared Vanderbilt at the start of the game, at the point of attack, and just see what he brings offensively in that unit. And yeah. then you bring in the subs, and then you come in with Gabe Vincent and have him take primary point of attack assignments and come in with Rui. And here's the thing. Gabe Vincent has playoff limitations. He got attacked a lot in mismatches last year. But he is a committed defender who can ball pressure and who could chase over the top of screen. So like he can functionally play that point of attack defense role in the regular season better than an Austin or D'Lo can just because he's a quicker, you know, more nimble athlete getting over the top of screens. And so like th that kind of that Gabe Rui tandem to me makes sense alongside like a Jared Vanderbilt with D'Angelo Russell type yeah. of tandem. Um, uh, and, and like, and, and th that, that to me is like the best way to structure this. And then as far as, as Darvin Ham goes with the closing group, it's all matchup dependent. Like yeah. if you're going against a team where it's more of a big wing, that's taking all their shots at the end of the game. Like you can keep Rui in the lineup and maybe he can guard that guy, you know, but the, you just have to make those decisions on the fly. And I don't, you know, I've seen a lot of people say like, who's the best five for the Lakers. Who's the closing five for the Lakers. And the truth of the matter is, is they have, legitimately like six, six or, seven. or seven guys who could play that role. And I think, I think that's actually an advantage in the long run. And not to mention, you know, with the forward depth, you could find yourself in a situation where you can be, you can afford to package D'Angelo Russell with one of those forwards yep. and, and move them at the deadline and have it actually be like a, a an intriguing trade package, you know, like mm -hmm. Rui Hachimura, for instance, on an affordable deal, and I love Rui, and and hopefully it all works out for him with the Lakers. But like, there's the, you can there the depth there buys you the ability to make that type of move. I, I just yeah. think in the long run, there's one of two directions they need to go. They need to, they need either need to go all in on being the best defense in the league, which is target a better point of attack defender that can play with the starters, or find that crazy over the top shot maker that elevates them into a dominant half court offense. And that's going to yeah. be a decision they have to make based on what's available at the deadline. But I'm, I'm intrigued because right now I'm not sure any one of their specific identities is, you know, truly world beating elite right now, but they have so many different identities that they can embody. And so that's, what's kind of interesting about this team. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. 
And, you know, really quickly before we move on, I do want to say the nice thing about whenever the Lakers do look to make an upgrade here is that this year they won't be operating from a point of desperation. They, they won't walk into any one of those negotiations where the other team knows, Hey, they have to get rid of Russ. Like they, <laughs> like they had, you know, every conversation that Rob Polinka was having with whoever he was having it with was all about, we know you have to, you have to do something this year though. I feel like, uh, he can push away from the table and that, and that opens up your, your, your opportunities there. Um, the, the, the point about, you know, kind of grouping, uh, uh, Vincent and Rui and then Vanderbilt and Russell, I think is the big one to hit there. And, um, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll kind of mix, mix and mash some of those guys. But I think when you're talking about optimizing the rotation and making it make the most sense, uh, those, those four guys kind of have to be split on like their own pickleball teams essentially. And, and, and you make it work as such. And the nice thing about all four of those guys is that, all four of them fit alongside LeBron, alongside AD, alongside Austin Reeves. And, uh, you know, that you, you couldn't quite say that necessarily about Russ or even about Dennis Schroeder at some times. Like, I thought last year the reason that Denver really, you know, dominated the Lakers late in games was the Lakers had four guys and then they had to play Schroeder. This year, they'll have, like you said a second ago, They'll have seven guys that I feel fairly comfortable going into those games. And it, it just kind of depends on who's having a night. If MPJ is going nuts, then yeah, you can stick, uh, you, you can throw Rui in there. It, it, and, and all of this also is predicated on, on LeBron and AD, even if they aren't shooting like they did in the bubble in 2020, which is never happening again. But if they shoot like tangibly better than they did last year, like, you can use Vanderbilt a little bit more. I always thought Vanderbilt, you know, faded late in those series because not only were teams, teams already know the, the book is written on Vanderbilt, but on top of that, AD wasn't a deep threat. And LeBron especially was way worse from the perimeter than he's been most of his career. So you combine those three things and Vanderbilt is unplayable in that kind of a setting this year though, if, if, and, and I think, uh, Austin, you never know with quotes like this. You, you never hear like, yeah, uh, per Austin Reeves, AD can't throw a pee in the ocean. Like that AD's never happens. Broke. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> We're guys, really you nervous. Guys, you guys wouldn't believe how awful AD looks. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's actually tried shooting with Just his wait. left hand. We're a little nervous. Um, <laughs> but but you do hear like you know Reeves is saying that that AD is shooting the ball uh you know it's it's noticeably better which that phrasing the thing about Austin is he seems incapable of bullshit so like when he says noticeably better that's in comparison to the AD that we saw struggle all year last year and frankly since they got out of the bubble so if he's shooting a little bit better if if LeBron is shooting a little bit better that actually makes Vanderbilt a much better player, a, 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 a much more dynamic offensive player. Yeah, I 100% agree. And like, that's the thing is like, when I look, we talked about Phoenix LA earlier, but kind of zooming in on the LA Denver matchup, like I've, I may or may not have said this last week when we were talking, but the, the, the three big reasons why I thought they lost that series was D'Angelo Russell got his ass kicked by Bruce Brown, like just got yeah. utterly demolished by Bruce Brown. It was one of the biggest swing factors in the series, but it's a general mismatch with that Lakers backcourt. They're not very athletic. 
And so really athletic guards can cause problems now. Uh, but let's, let's address that. Bruce Brown is gone now. I like mm -hmm. Christian Brown, but Christian Brown is not close to as good as Bruce Brown was. Okay. No. So like the Denver backcourt athleticism thing, not as much of an issue. When you go to other teams in the, in the West, you know, the, the nuggets, uh, the, excuse me, the Suns, their backcourt is not overly athletic. When you go to uh, Golden State, their backcourt's not overly athletic. You know, John Morant is, uh, yeah, or big. Like the the one team that you look at is like, oh, like what if they got into a series with the Clippers and it's like Terrence Mann and Russell Westbrook just just kicking their ass, you know? But mm -hmm. but obviously, Russ brings a bunch of other negatives to the table that the Lakers would exploit. So, but I'm less concerned about the backcourt athleticism issue with this specific Western Conference now. But that was a key issue in the Nuggets series. Then you have the backup center position. Like they just had to go out there all playoff runs, the entire playoff run with LeBron anchoring these center units uh, with AD off the bench. And yeah. it was just a nightmare. And LeBron's plus mm -hmm. minus in the in the playoffs was awful as a big part of that specific issue. Jackson Hayes and and Christian Wood, I don't necessarily think are going to fix that problem. We'll see. And, and we'll see what happens over the course of the series but or season. But that's one thing to keep an eye on. The third big swing factor was every one of those games was close. Like three of the four yeah. games were within five points with less than five minutes left. And the fourth Lakers one had leads <laughs> and the fourth, the fourth one didn't have a clutch situation, but the Lakers had a double digit lead in the third quarter. So yeah. like that was as, as far as sweeps go. And it was a sweep and they got their butt kicked. And, yeah. and to be clear, I'm not trying to say like, Oh, they were this close, but like, like the, it was a closer sweep than it looked on the mm -hmm. surface. And what happened at the end of every single one of those games is when both teams locked in defensively, Jokic and Jamal Murray made tough, contested shot after tough, contested shot in LeBron's face, in Anthony Davis's face, in everybody's face. And on the other end of the floor, LeBron was a brick and Anthony Davis was a brick. That yeah. is what happened in that series in those clutch situations. And so here's the thing. If I look at it, I would even argue Denver shot uncharacteristically hot in that yeah. series. They'll probably come back to earth a little bit if you play them again. But that still won't be enough. LeBron yeah. and AD also have to make more shots. And so that's the thing is like a lot of their – I 100% agree with you. A lot of their problems can be solved just by LeBron James and Anthony Davis shooting better. If AD took it seriously this summer and worked on it, became a good jump shooter, that's great. LeBron, I have a feeling last, last year was a bit of an anomaly because he's had that happen a couple times in his career where he just randomly can't shoot and then he yeah. comes back the next season and he's fine. Uh, he's he just, also had that foot thing where, like you, you, I've watched you shoot. You know, you know what it's like. You try to shoot with anything wrong with your feet, and you're way off. It's just it's an energy transfer can, thing. Yeah. yeah, like like when you your muscle memory gets thrown off when your lift is off. Like it, it's just it's because it's like it's literally you take the same shot a thousand times, you dial yeah. it in, and then it throws the whole the system off. But I think it's possible that LeBron comes back and shoots better, and AD comes back and shoots better, and that does solve a lot of their problems, especially with Bruce Brown out of the equation. But like that's that's a big if, and that's going to be yeah. the thing that they're going to have to figure out over the course of the season. Is it's like this big delicate concoction of ingredients, and it's like Jared Vanderbilt gets ten percent better on offense, and Rui Hachimura gets ten percent better on defense, and LeBron and AD both shoot better than they did last year. Like then it all comes together, and you're great. But like if that concoction is off a little bit, that's yeah. when you might have to consider getting more aggressive at the deadline. What do you think about Austin? Um, a lot. So the uh, the FIBA tournament was was interesting 
and also not all that surprising the reaction to Austin in it, where Lakers fans and people who have watched him said, "No, I swear this guy's actually good. It's not just because he's white. I promise. Like we, he's actually good." And then uh, you know he got he got picked on in uh, a variety of ways throughout that tournament, and it is something that. You know, teams are going to do more of this year, especially in that playoff setting, because if you can manage to take him off the court in any way whatsoever or make the Lakers give up something by having him on the court, then uh, then then I think you've really done your job. are, Are you at all concerned about the defense? Not at all. Um, the reality is, is we. I'm actually pulling up the numbers really quick right now. Last year in the playoffs, yeah. they played teams that had matchup attacking players that could have caused mm-hmm. problems. And I'm seeing right here that Austin Reeves got posted up in the entire playoff run on six possessions, and he gave up just two points. Yeah. So like, like it was just a complete non-issue in the playoffs last year. Uh, a lot of it is schematic, and you guys saw Austin Reeves talk about this uh, in his interview with Zach Lowe, but like. If Steve Kerr's going to switch action and leave guys on an island uh, and they're allowed to, like he said, just take as many dribbles as it takes to get to their spot, like that's a really tough spot to defend for any player, you know? Yeah. And like the Lakers just, here's the thing. I never, there was this, there was a brief moment in the, in the, uh, uh, in the Grizzlies series game four, game five, where I was like, Oh, like Desmond Bain's a little too strong for Austin. Yeah. And he's able to kind of bump him off for some of these mid-range jump shots and get good looks, and that's kind of a little bit of a problem. But there was never a point during the playoffs last year where I was like, oh, Austin's defense Can't is a play. problem. Like, yeah, yeah, it just was never an issue. Like, there was never a point where I was like, Austin's the reason they're, they're losing this game. Like, it was it was always, like, the delicate balance between the, the forward spot or D'Angelo Russell and his, in, like, incredible up-and-down style of play where it's like one minute he's – you know, kicking the ball all over the floor and not playing any defense. And then the next minute he's hitting three of the most important threes of the season against Memphis in game four, you know, like it just, it's very volatile elsewhere. And I just, I look at Austin as one of like the foundational pieces that like, you just don't have to worry about. Like as long as he's healthy and he's out there, like he's just going to find a way to be a huge net positive. And I think, you know, I think the problem with the public opinion on Austin is it's all about perspective. Like, we're not here saying Austin's an all-star. And, like, who knows? Maybe one day he'll get a selection if he's lucky, if he's on a team that wins enough games and the conference breaks a certain way. But, like, that position is just super deep. And so it's hard. You know, like, I mean, Jamal Murray is going to have a hard enough time making his first all-star team, even with Dame. He doesn't want it anyway, so don't. we're good. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, like, that's the thing is, like, we're not – Lakers – people have covered the Lakers closely are not saying Austin's an all-star, Austin's a superstar. We're just saying he's really damn good. I look yeah, at him as legit. a guy, he, he's going to be a perennial, whatever that tier is right below all-star. That's what I see him as. Like uh, 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 Logan, who's one of my uh, one of the executives here at The Volume, is a good friend of mine. Like he, he was the first person I heard say he's like Manu Ginobili. And I think it's like literally the perfect comp in the sense that mm-hmm. like he's not this world-beating talent He's never going to go into an NBA season and average 27 points a game. He's not going to get all the accolades. But in any playoff setting or in any big game, when that dude has the ball, he is just as capable of making a game-altering, series-altering, championship-altering yeah. altering play as anybody out there. And when 
when you are putting a team together and you look at a lineup and you see Manu in the group or you see Austin in the group, you're like, we're good there. Like, and that, and that's the thing is yeah. like, he's just, he's just really damn good. And I, and I think that, I think that the, the, the dissonance there is mostly just people think we're overrating Austin and that's not what we're doing. We're just trying to get people to appreciate and respect how good he is at this point. And hopefully over the course of the season, people will see that.